Let's go to the Lord once more in prayer. Heavenly Father, we recognize that long ago your word brought creation into being, and that it is your word that sustains all of life. We ask that for those of us sitting here, that your word would sustain us and give us the strength that we need so that we might live out our lives in a way that bears witness to the God who saved us, the God who redeems us, and the God who continues to give us life. And we ask these things in Jesus' name, amen. I learned in December 2007 that my dad had been diagnosed with pancreatic cancer. My brother told me that dad had three to five months to live. Not only did I discover that my dad had been diagnosed with cancer, but I also discovered that my mom had just been laid off from her job because the company was downsizing. And she also shared with me that she needed a surgical procedure done for her health, but she had to delay it because of my dad's diagnosis of cancer. I decided to take that quarter off so that I would be able to be at home with my mom and with my dad. It was a difficult time for me. It was a hard time. And five months later, in May 2008, my dad died. My uncles and my aunts, they lost their youngest brother. My mom lost her husband of over 20 years. My brother and myself, we lost our dad. If anyone asks me, has there ever been tragedy in your life? I would probably point to that moment and bring that moment up. It was difficult. It was unexpected. I expected to give my dad a few more hugs in his life. I expected my dad to sit and see me graduate. I expected to see my dad be there one day at my wedding. I never expected him to die so soon. And oftentimes, unexpected tragedy befalls us, comes upon us. And if you're like me, you will also know of people who have experienced unexpected tragedy. You will hear of people who have gone through difficult loss and hardship. Maybe a coworker who comes into work that day receives notice that he's been let go because the company is making cuts. He never expects it. A wife never expects to deliver news to her husband that she had a miscarriage. A person going into a routine doctor's appointment never expects to hear that he's been diagnosed with a chronic illness. A student going to class one day never expects to hear that their classmate had died in a car accident the previous weekend. Unexpected tragedy, unexpected loss, will happen to people you know. So what do we do in those moments? How do we respond when someone's going through a difficult time? How do we care for someone who's gone through 
one of the most horrific and challenging moments in their lives. What is our response? What do we do? How do we care for them? To answer that question, we'll turn to a story in the Bible that happened and occurred in one of the most darkest times in Israel's history. The heroes of the faith, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, Moses, Joshua, they were people of the past. And in this time, there were no spiritual leaders to lead Israel in worship of God. And so they abandoned God and they adopted idolatry. Instead of being a people set apart for God, they became like their neighbors. They worshiped false gods. They practiced immorality. And from the city of Bethlehem, the grandson of Moses would come out and lead the tribe of Dan into idolatry. Out of Bethlehem would come a concubine of a Levite who would be raped by the tribe of Benjamin. Time of judges. Arrow more and more into chaos, into turmoil, into destruction. And you have to wonder, can anything good come out of the time of judges? Can anything good come out of this town of Bethlehem? And the surprising answer is, Yes, something good can come out of this time of turmoil and of chaos in Israel's history. Yes, there is something good that can come out of this town that's known for immorality and idolatry. That there is something good and hopeful that can come out of it. And from this story of hope, the story of two women, Naomi and Ruth, we will learn what it means how do we care for those experiencing unexpected tragedy? And before we can answer that question, we have to kind of think about two other issues. First, what do people feel about God when they're going through unexpected tragedy? When unexpected loss and difficulty comes, how do people perceive God? What do they think of him? What do they feel about him? And the second question to think about is, when we care for people who are experiencing unexpected tragedy, what do we potentially expose ourselves to? What risks do we take on? What might we face if we were to care for those who are going through a difficult time? And then lastly, we'll answer that question that I just posed. How do we care for those experiencing unexpected tragedy? How do we come alongside those who are going through a difficult time and going through loss? How do we walk with them through that time? So the first question, what do people feel about God, especially what do they feel about God when they're going through that time of unexpected tragedy and loss? Well, people feeling that loss, that tragedy, when people are going through that unexpected time of hardship, 
they will feel that God opposes them. That people experiencing tragedy oftentimes feel that God is against them. That every forward stride they make, God seems to be pushing back and opposing them. That every single obstacle that they experience, they feel God set those obstacles up. God opposes me. God opposes us. And that is the feeling that oftentimes people have when they're going through unexpected tragedy. We realize, especially in the book of Ruth, that Naomi experienced unexpected tragedy and loss. And we see that in the book of Ruth. So if you aren't there already, please turn there with me to Ruth chapter 1. Ruth chapter 1. It's right after the book of Judges. And we'll see the unexpected tragedy that Naomi faced. It was one of loss. Things were taken away from her. And the first thing that we discover that she loses is her source of food. That the thing that once provided her sustenance, provided her things to eat, it was taken away from her. She lost it. Naomi and family coming from the city of Bethlehem, a place of bountiful food, of harvest, of grain, barley, and wheat, was no longer producing the wheat and barley they expected. That the early and late rains that often come as they look to the sky, no rain. When they looked at the ground that used to be moist and wet, dry and arid. The fields that used to be full of wheat and barley, as far as the eye can see, bore very little strands of wheat and barley, just a few. And whatever wheat stalks that they were able to harvest, they crushed them up and only a few kernels they could find. It was a time of famine. The source of food was gone. We see that in verse 1. In the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land. And a man of Bethlehem in Judah went to sojourn in the country of Moab. He and his wife and his two sons. That in this time of famine, Naomi lost a source of food, but she also lost her home. She had to leave Bethlehem. Bethlehem meaning the house of bread. But that house no longer provided any bread. So Elimelech, her husband, seeing the cattle get thinner, hearing the neighbors and townsfolk talk about dwindling crops, decided Elimelech, meaning God is my king, felt God is no longer king of this town. It's time to leave. It's time to pick up shop. Boys, pack the bags. Whatever we can't carry, we sell. And they set off for the land of Moab, a place that they hoped would be prosperous, fertile, providing harvest of grain and wheat that they would be able to eat 
and they set off. Now, as they settled down in this new land of Moab, it wasn't long before Elimelech and family encountered trouble. Maybe one day Elimelech gets up, getting ready for a day's work, feels a sharp pain in his chest. It causes him to kneel over, but then it's gone. So he thinks, no big issue, dismisses it. Maybe then he goes to the field and starts to plow, and that same pain returns and he blacks out. Naomi goes out to the field and finds his face down on the ground. She searches for a pulse. Nothing. Elimelech had died. Now, the text doesn't say how Elimelech died, but we know that he did die. We see that in verse 3. But Elimelech, the husband of Naomi, died, and she was left with her two sons. Naomi had lost her source of food, she lost her home, and now she lost her husband. But now her two sons, Machlon and Kilion, were probably not the most healthiest guys in the batch. Machlon means sickly, Kilion means complete, finished. So imagine having two sons, sickly and goner. So it's no surprise that shortly after, the two sons are also gone as well. She loses both sons. We see that in verse 4 and 5. These took Moabite wives. The name of the one was Orpah and the name of the other Ruth. They lived there about 10 years, and both Machlon and Kilian died so that the woman was left without her two sons and her husband. But there's also something else implied that Naomi loses. She also loses the possibility of heirs. They lived there 10 years, no children, no little Elimelechs, no little Machlones, no little Killians, no children, no one to pass on that name of Elimelech. And there are no heirs. Naomi had lost almost everything except for her life. She lost her home, she lost her source of food, she lost her husband, she lost her two sons. Any hope of a future, she lost it all. And Naomi then traces the line back and saying, the cause of my pain and the cause of my suffering, the cause of my tragic loss, ultimately is God. And Naomi blames God for these losses. Naomi blames God for making her life bitter, difficult, hard. And we see that in verse 13. Verse 13 says, at the later half, when she's trying to convince her two daughter-in-laws to return back, she has this comment, she has this outburst in verse 13. No, my daughters, for it is exceedingly bitter to me for your sake that the hand of the Lord has gone against me. That the hand of the Lord that comes out during war, during fights and battles, that same hand that was against the enemies of Israel, that is the same hand that is now against me. And my life now is bitter. And not only did Naomi blame God for making her life bitter, 
Naomi also blamed God for her losses. When she returns home later to Bethlehem, she tells the townsfolk, don't call me Naomi, meaning pleasant. Call me Mara, bitter, because the Lord has taken away everything from me. And we see that in verse 20. She said to them, do not call me Naomi, call me Mara, for the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. I went away full, and the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi? When the Lord has testified against me, and the Almighty has brought calamity upon me. That God Almighty, the sovereign one, the one who has control over every single thing, the God who makes the rain come down from the sky, who makes the land fertile, the God who brought me up in this home, the God who gave me this husband and yet did not sustain his life, this God who gave me these two sons yet did not help them to continue to live, God the Almighty, the Sovereign One, He is the one who took away my fullness and returned to me, returned me to Bethlehem empty with nothing. Naomi blamed God for her losses. And if we think about it, we see people who experience tragedy feel the same way. They feel that God opposes them because he failed to stop the tragedy from occurring. That if God is truly almighty and sovereign over all things, then he should have stopped this from happening. That a couple may think to themselves, why did God allow us to miscarry? Why couldn't he sustain the life of the child and bring the child to full term? As parents are sitting in a funeral service for their son, they may think, why did God allow that drunk driver to get behind the wheel that night? Why didn't God stop him? Why didn't God bring people into his life to say, no, you shouldn't be driving? As a person is sitting in the office of his oncologist, waiting results, knowing that the cancer had reoccurred, he may be thinking, why didn't God remove all the cancerous cells in my body through radiation therapy or chemotherapy or through surgery? Why did God allow this to return? God is the one who's to blame. Or maybe a woman who receives letter of divorce is wondering, why is this happening? Why didn't God allow us to spend more time together? Why didn't God give us wisdom to make sure that our marriage was thriving rather than it reaching this final point? That oftentimes people who are experiencing these unexpected tragedies and difficulties in our lives feel, they feel that God is against them because he didn't stop it from happening. And that's why people experiencing tragedy oftentimes feel that God is opposing them against them, pushing back against them. And that brings us to our second question. When we care for people who are going through these thoughts, who are going through these feelings, what do we potentially expose ourselves to? What might we experience or expect to see? What kind of reactions will we receive? And it's this, that when we care for people who are experiencing unexpected tragedy, it exposes us to potential hurt. 
it puts us in the danger of having our feelings hurt, that we are unappreciated, that we may be pushed away in those moments, that at those times when we try and care for these people who are going through difficult times, there is a risk and danger, even for us. And that caring for people who are experiencing unexpected tragedy exposes us to that potential hurt. Now, after Naomi had lost her husband and two boys, she attempts to persuade Ruth and Orpah to leave, to go away from her four times. We see it first in verse 8. Go return each of you to her mother's house. Then again in verse 11. But Naomi said, turn back, my daughters. Why will you go with me? And then again in verse 12, turn back, my daughters, go your way. And then one more time towards Ruth. See, in verse 15, and she said, see, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and to her gods. Return after your sister-in-law. Four times, Naomi said, go back, turn away from me, go home. And these pleas persuade one of the daughters-in-law, Orpah, and she leaves. But Ruth remains. We see it in verse 14. Then they lifted up their voices and wept again, and Orpah kissed her mother-in-law, but Ruth clung to her. That word cling is not just a loose holding of a hand. It's a gripping for dear life. That Ruth, by her clinging on to her mother-in-law, saying, I am going to hold on to you so close, so tight, I will not depart from you. I will follow you to the end of the line. I will be there for you. And when Ruth does this, Ruth exposes herself to potential hurt, potential risk and harm when she devotes herself to the care of Naomi. That because she has expressed this devotion, there is a potential of risk. Well, what are those risks? Well, the first risk is that Ruth exposes herself to the potential of being single for the rest of her life. That she may not get married ever again. We see this in Naomi trying to convince Ruth, Ruth, go. You won't find a husband here with me. I cannot conceive and you will not wait, even if I am able to conceive, to raise this boy and for you to marry him, it's not going to work. And we see this specifically in the text in verse 13. We'll go back actually to verse 12. Turn back, my daughters, go your way, for I am too old to have a husband. If I should say I have hope, even if I should have a husband this night and should bear sons, would you therefore wait until they were grown? Would you therefore refrain from marrying? No, my daughters, for it is exceedingly bitter to me for your sake that the hand of the Lord has gone out against me. That there is no way that you will find a husband here. You may possibly be single for the rest of your life. Is that a risk you're willing to take, Ruth? But then Ruth also exposes herself to another potential risk. And that is the potential risk of being an alien for the rest of her life. That she will always be a foreigner, an other than, one who is different. And we see this in verse 15. 
in this plea that Naomi has, go back. See, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and to her gods. Return after your sister-in-law. Naomi saying, Ruth, go back to the home that you know. You know where to go. You know how to get from point A to point B. You know the blacksmith's name who sharpens your instruments. You know your family who's there to comfort you and to be with you. You know where to go purchase different clothes and different garments. You know where to get the best things. Go home, the home that you know. And not only go back to the home that you know, go back to the faith that you know as well. Go back to worshiping Chamash, the God of the Moabites. Why come and worship Yahweh, the Lord God, when he has put such burden on me? Go back to what you know. Because where we're going, you're going to be an alien, a foreigner. And the narrator seems to point that out, especially at the end of the story in verse 22. He writes, So Naomi returned, and Ruth the Moabite, her daughter-in-law, with her, who returned from the country of Moab, and they came to Bethlehem at the beginning of barley harvest. Two times in this one verse, the narrator says, It's Ruth the Moabite. And it's because Moabites, Moab, doesn't really have a good history in Israel's textbooks. When Israel was coming out of Egypt into the wilderness, Moab kept on preventing them from entering their land to take a shortcut. Moab was also the one who hired Balaam to utter a curse upon Israel. Moabite. And not only that... But the Mosaic law even commanded that if there is ever an intermarriage between Israelite and Moabite, that offspring would not be able to join the congregation of Israel for ten generations. I mean, I'm only a second generation. Can you imagine? Eight more generations before you're able to worship in the congregation of Israel? And not only that, in the time of Judges, there was a Moabite king Eglon, who oppressed Israel for 18 years. So can you imagine Ruth, this Moabite woman in Bethlehem, these Israelites seeing her as like, a Moabite? Maybe when she comes to purchase a jar of oil, they say, five times the price of what they normally pay. Maybe the kids would point at her outfit and giggle because she's wearing Moabite clothes, but we are in Israel, sister. Or they may utter in the town, it's like, oh, it's Ruth. An outsider, an alien, risk, harm, hurt. That is what Ruth exposes herself to if she decides to remain devoted to Naomi. And she does. And so we also, for those of us who are caring for those who are an unexpected tragedy, we have to prepare ourselves for potential hurt. We have to prepare ourselves for the potential harm that we might receive when we care for those who are experiencing tragedy. That it's going to be difficult. Now, we may not experience singleness for the rest of our life. We may not experience being an alien for the rest of our lives. But we may experience different things that cause perhaps emotional difficulty in our lives. Those who are experiencing tragedy may not express appreciation for all that you do. 
Maybe you hear that someone had recently lost a family member, so you sign up to bring them a meal. But there's no thank you card. There's no thank you email. No thank you text. Your meal may go unnoticed, and you may feel a little hurt. Or maybe those who are experiencing tragedy may not pick up your phone calls. Your friend emails you and says that they've been diagnosed with a chronic illness. And as a result, you decide to call them, but you go direct to voicemail. And you think, of all the people, I, I'm actually calling you. And I get voicemail. You may feel unappreciated. You may wonder, how come I'm not being thanked for even making this gesture? Or maybe those who are experiencing tragedy may not want to meet with you. Maybe you hear that someone's spouse is really sick, and you try and set up a time to meet, and they keep on saying no, no, no. And you decide to spontaneously show up just to say hi and maybe bring a gift, and they can't speak long with you because their spouse is in pain and they need their help. And you may feel emotionally like, I'm making this gesture. How come I'm not being appreciated, thanked, loved? And I think oftentimes when we try and help those people who are going through hardship, we need to prepare ourselves that we may be hurt and that we may not be thanked, we may not be appreciated. So then what are we supposed to do? How do we care for those who are going through those unexpected times of loss and difficulty and hardship? What is our response? I think we care for people who are experiencing tragedy and difficulty by remembering that God cares about them. That God cares more about them than we ever will. That even though we may sit with them if we get a chance to hear their story, we may only be able to sit with them for maybe 45 minutes, an hour. But in those dark moments of the soul, God is sitting there with them. We may be able to speak some advice from our own personal experiences, but God who knows their lives and their stories are able to speak an even better word than we are. And something that we need to remember when we care for people, even though our attempts may be rebuffed, is to remember that God cares about them. And we see that God cared for Naomi even during this time of tragic loss, even during this time of difficulty. You remember, she lost her source of food, but God intervened to restore it. Look at verse 6. Then she arose with her daughters-in-law to return from the country of Moab, for she had heard in the fields of Moab that the Lord had visited his people and given them food. And the word food here is actually the word bread. I think the author is doing a play on words here. Remember Bethlehem? House of bread. The house is open for business. There's bread in town. Remember how Naomi lost her home? Well, God returns her home, brings her back to Bethlehem, protects her from the bandits and trouble that she might face on the road, and God brings her back. Verse 22, so Naomi returned, and Ruth the Moabite, her daughter-in-law with her, returned from the country of Moab, and they came to Bethlehem at the beginning of barley harvest. She's home. 
Now you may say, whoa, 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 hang on, but Naomi lost her husband and two sons. But God provided for her Ruth. Ruth. An example of steadfast, loyal love. That Ruth stuck by Naomi even after the death of her husband, Machlon. We see it in verse 8. But Naomi said to her two daughters, oh, daughters-in-law, go return each of you to her mother's house. And now listen to this. May the Lord deal kindly with you as you have dealt with the dead and with me. That word for deal kindly is you have been steadfast in your love to me. The Hebrew root hesed. This idea of steadfast and loyal love that you were devoted to me even after your husband died. And there's something even more powerful that happens between Naomi and Ruth. That Ruth herself makes this radical commitment, as we've already said, but such a radical commitment that she pronounces a curse on herself. That if she fails to care for Naomi, then may I die. If I don't hold to my word, then let me die. We see that in verse 16. But Ruth said, do not urge me to leave you or return from following you. For where you go, I will go. And where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die. And there will I be buried. May the Lord, here now, may the Lord do so to me and more also of anything but death parts me from you. Meaning that nothing will depart me from you, Naomi, unless death takes me. And I am swearing this oath to you. I will be with you. The end of the line. And we think that, okay, Ruth, sticking with her, it would receive attention. But even when Naomi returns home to Bethlehem, Naomi doesn't say, yes, I lost her husband, my husband, I lost my two sons, but I have this daughter-in-law. There's no mention of it. Just call me bitter, Mara. And that through Ruth, through this daughter-in-law, she would also receive what she lost, the possibility of an heir. Because through Ruth would come a son. We see this at the end of the story of Ruth. So turn there with me to Ruth chapter 4, just a few pages. Let me read this to you. Ruth chapter 4, verse 13. Ruth chapter 4, verse 13. So Boaz, another character that enters into the story later, and she became his wife, and he went into her, and the Lord gave her a conception, and she bore a son. Then the women said to Naomi, Blessed be the Lord who has not left you this day without a redeemer, and may his name be renowned in Israel. He shall be to you a restorer of life and a nourisher of your old age, for your daughter-in-law who loves you, who is more to you than seven sons, have given birth to him. Then Naomi took the child and laid him on her lap and became his nurse. And the woman of the neighborhood gave him a name, saying, A son has been born to Naomi. They called him, they named him Obed. He was the father of Jesse, the father of David. That that loss of an heir, there is now an heir. And that God was caring for Naomi even during this time of tragedy, even though she wasn't able to see it yet. Now, we also care for people because God cares about them. And how do we know that God cares? 
is because that God ultimately saves them. We recognize that God provided a king later on, David, to save Israel from its surrounding enemies that continued to pester them and oppress them during the time of Judges, that through Obed would come David. Now you may think, but for those of us who are not Israelites, who are Gentiles and non-Jewish, have no connection to Jews, how does that relate to me? But it's because through David would come Jesus Christ, who would not save us from physical enemies, but come save us from our sin. That he recognized that this world was under curse, and that because the world is cursed, all of us will experience experience sadness and loss and tragedy. And Jesus Christ exposed himself to a world of pain and potential hurt so that he might redeem us on the cross through his death and resurrection so that we can anticipate a life where tragedy will one day be no more. And we bear with people now because we still live in a world that's under hardship and curse because of sin. But those of us who have placed our faith in Christ can realize that, yes, we care for people by sitting with them, listening to them, messaging them, emailing them, calling them, providing them food. But their ultimate reprieve will be found when Christ returns. And so that's why we continue to care, that we continue to help, even though it's hard. So people who are experiencing tragedy oftentimes feel that God opposes them. And caring for people who are experiencing those times of tragedy exposes us to potential hurt. But we care for them, we help them, we walk with them, because we remember that ultimately God cares for them. I mean, I would never have imagined how God would use people to care for my family after my dad had died. I remember a few hours after my dad had just passed, my pastors were at my door. They said that they would do my dad's funeral. And it's through the efforts of those two pastors and a sister from my church that eventually my unbelieving mother would come to faith in Christ. I would never expect that a week after my dad passed, I would receive an internship to work at Lockheed Martin in Fort Worth, Texas. And there a family would take me in and provide me housing. And then that family would ultimately be whom Joe and I affectionately call our Texas parents and family. That God uses people oftentimes in those times of tragedy to care for us. And may we be that type of person. May we be a church and people who care for people in those times of difficulty. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your son, Jesus Christ, who has saved us from our sin and from a life apart from you. And we thank you for how your spirit has empowered us to be a light and witness in this world by caring for those who go through difficult and challenging times. And so we ask that your spirit would help us to be a church and a people known for this care. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.